0: salutations everybody and welcome to the 26th installment of the cult spark podcast this is a podcast where we talk about entertainments of the cult and geek varieties although this episode will lean heavily on the geek side of that equation as we're going to spend most of the episode talking about suicide squad warner brothers just released dc supervillain team-up film and star trek beyond the 13th big screen entry in the legendary science fiction franchise My name is Bob Taylor. I write semi-regularly about film and TV at cultspark.com. You can go there right now after you listen to this to read my print review of Suicide Squad, if you'd be so inclined. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stu Smith, whose written work is also featured at CultSpark. Stu, I'm taking a break from around-the-clock Olympics watching to record this podcast. Uh, How about you? Our regular listeners know you're not a big sports guy. Does that extend to the Olympics? Do you care?
1: The Olympics are happening,
0: so it's the same. You don't care. (laughs) No Olympics. You know,
1: I I might be watching a little bit of them if I was even able to access regular TV. But I mean, I I don't have any kind of a antenna, no cable, nothing. So the the extent of my Olympics watching at this point is watching the brief little blips that uh, Leslie Jones posts on Twitter. With her hilarious commentary, that that's about it. Which
0: are great, and they're flying her to Rio next week. Right, I saw that. That's amazing part of it, which is great. So yeah, you cut your cable stew, and you lose the Olympics. But but it sounds like you're not too upset about it.
1: No, not not at all. You know, I've never really been into the Olympics. You know, I'll, I'll watch you know a few events maybe if somebody else is is in the house watching them. But I mean, I've never gone out of my way to watch any of that stuff. So,
0: Stu, in our last episode a few weeks back, we wondered aloud if Suicide Squad could somehow save this entire underwhelming summer movie season. And after seeing it, I think it's fair to say that the answer to that question is a resounding no. Uh, At least from a quality standpoint, it is doing very well at the box office. But to me, uh, Suicide Squad just suffers from too many of the same flaws that Batman vs Superman and, to a lesser extent, Man of Steel suffered from. It's dark, it's dreary, it's less fun than it should or could be. Uh, the plot doesn't really hold up well under scrutiny. Suffice to say I and if you read my print review or have read it already, you'll know that I was not a fan. So we're but we're here to get your take, Stu. What'd you think of suicide squad?
1: Uh, I, I didn't hate it. I certainly didn't hate it the way that you did. Uh, it's It's a very flawed movie. I mean, there are so many problems with it. Uh, plot holes big enough for Killer Croc to swim through. Uh, it's edited by you know, a moron. You know, just so many, so many script problems. But I enjoyed portions of it. Uh, you know, I, I, it had some fun to it. Uh, it's carried almost entirely on the strength of uh, Margot Robbie and Will Smith and Viola Davis, uh, all of whom are just fantastic movie stars. You know, in this film, I don't know that I'll ever be inclined to watch it again. I don't necessarily regret watching it when I did. Uh, it, it was fine. It's like, it's one of these movies that, like, if this had come out, uh, you know, kind of like in the early 2000s when comic book movies were just finding, you know, their feet, uh, people would be kind of blown away by it. You, know,
0: you but, yeah, you're giving this as an excuse almost every single episode now, Stu, where it's like, well, if this would have came out 10 years ago, we would have loved it. No, I'm,
1: I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying like, I've heard it, you have said true, that though.
0: multiple times now. Yeah, but I don't but I don't think it's valid, really, at this point. I mean, we are in a post MCU age. I
1: mean, we things, are. But I mean, this is this is also still D.C. trying to find its feet.
0: Not to mention that this is not a better film than Blade 2. It is not a better film than The Crow. It is not a better film... It's than, a better
1: film than Blade Trinity. Well,
0: as are most <laughs> as are most things.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I kind of argue that it's at least as good as Blade 2. No, it's not. Blade I mean, 2 isn't
0: very good. I mean, it's not great, but there's clearly an inventiveness behind it.
1: it it's, okay, uh, the, the flair and imagination... Of Guillermo del Toro and just, you know, his pure love for cinema uh, overcomes a multitude of that movie's sins, but it's not a good movie.
0: I mean, how many years old... I say old this is to someone
1: who owns it and has watched it multiple times. Look,
0: how many years old is Brian Singer's first X-Men now? Like, 15? And I'm still going to take that movie over Suicide Squad.
1: Well, sure. Again, like I, like I'm, Again, I'm not saying this is a good movie. It's not. You know, I've certainly seen far worse comic book movies. And I think that, I think maybe that was some of it is that, you know, I walked into this and there was, God, there's so much hyperbole flying around about this movie. Oh, it's worse than the Fantastic Four reboot. Oh, it's, you know, it's the worst comic book movie ever. It's like, that's, no, no, it's not.
0: Well, I gave it two out of five stars, which is a half star higher than what I gave Batman v Superman. Um, I do think it's a tick more enjoyable than that, maybe because it's just less egregiously offensive to its source material and its characters.
1: Um, well, I mean, it's it's a movie that has a better sense of what it wants to be.
0: St- and still not really a good sense, but I'll give you a better sense.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it at least knows that it wants to have fun with these villains uh, and, and manages to accomplish that from time to time. Uh, nothing that they other than making Batman badass in that one warehouse fight, nothing that Batman v. Superman sets out to do it accomplishes. Nothing.
0: I do think Margot Robbie's very good in it. I, we could probably quibble about Harley as a character and whether this is the an ideal realization of her. And I would argue maybe not. I don't think it's as egregious as some people online seem to be indicating. But I'm not sure it's the optimal version of Harley either.
1: I don't know that it's the optimal version of the character, but I think it's at least a good place to start, you know. And there, obviously, there are certainly problems uh, you know, with the way that she was written, and certainly things they could have done better. But uh, like so much of this movie, it is overcome by uh, the fact that Margot Robbie just attacks this role. She clearly wants to make her mark uh, playing Harley. Uh, She's having an absolute blast playing it. She just, you know, she really digs into it, and it it absolutely shows uh, every time she's on screen.
0: I like her in it. I think her performance is the most fun. And I would also say that Will Smith is the second best or most fun performance in it. Although I feel like it's not quite like the 100-watt movie star Will Smith, you know, from like the Independence Day, Men in Black days. It's not. More like a 75. what it's kind of it's dimmed a little bit that superstar
1: aura. well it's it's the fact that he's i mean he's still playing a bad person you know and there's really if you want to keep it a bad person as this script really kind of intends to you know you can't really go full movie star with this
0: and and for me i don't see much of a character there it's basically just will smith playing this guy Uh, you know it it doesn't it's
1: not like he disappears into the role of deadshot well he doesn't but some of that too is because i mean define deadshot for me oh nobody can see exactly i mean that that's part of the problem is that you know he's not really given you know it's not like the joker or mr freeze or you know almost any other of of batman's villains you know he's just he's got to bring what he can bring to it because deadshot's pretty much a blank slate but
0: I mean, it's not too much to ask that the movie somewhat try to fill in that blank slate instead of just okay. Well, it it's, it's Will Smith. It did, though. Well, I mean, it, it, you
1: know, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not very well versed in in Deadshot from the comics, but uh, you know, I don't know if he actually had a daughter or anything like that. But it, it, it tried to. It tried to make Deadshot more than just hey, look, hit man who never misses.
0: My big problem is is that. Some of the characters have individual arcs, but the main arc for everybody seems to be that they come together as a team. You know, at the beginning, they're supervillains. They're all out for themselves. They just want to escape. And and by the end of the film, the film tries to get them to a point where they respect each other and want to finish what they started and feel almost like a little family. But I feel like... The script is never able to pull that off. That's the point it puts them at at the end, just because it has to, just because. Well, the yeah. script
1: is never concerned with any of that until it's concerned. Right, with and any then all of, of a
0: sudden, it's a thing that happens just because right. it's the third act and it's supposed to. But it never sort of organically gets there. It never, it doesn't organically happen.
1: It gets there in part, at least between like Deadshot and Harley, simply because mm. Smith and Robbie have great chemistry together, and they make the most of their scenes together. Uh but that's really about it. You know, it it never nothing ever nothing else really coalesces in the way that it needs to.
0: I mean, once again, it kind of suffers from dumb plotting. Um I roll my eyes at the fact that it's specifically stated that they're putting this team together to fight the next Superman, a being with that much power, and they stick Harley Quinn on it, who has no powers, and a fucking guy who throws boomerangs.
1: That's what they're going to use to fight the next Superman with. Kind of. Well, I mean, that that's definitely one of my problems is that, I mean, even Harley kind of gets justified on there just because she actually holds herself up well in a fight, and she's chaotic and unpredictable and stuff like that. Um. Plus, it's like, what what was the line that Donald Rumsfeld used? Uh, You know, you go to war with the army that you have, not the army that you wish to have or something like that. And so it's like, these these are the villains that she has. So that's what she's using.
0: And in a a better screenplay by the end of the movie, even if we didn't buy it at the beginning, the film would show us how each piece ended up being worth it. How how each character, their skill set or whatever, ended up paying off. And that doesn't happen in this movie basically at all.
1: Well, and that's what kind of amazes me is that it's like, not only does does Captain Boomerang never justify his existence, he never really does it, much of anything at all. No, like I think he throws boomerangs twice in the entire in the entire film. It's like he's at, only there for comic relief. But I mean, he gets a, one or two
0: jokes or funny looks in. But there's not even a lot of that coming from him.
1: Right. Well, and then like and then he leaves the team, and in, in literally the next shot. He's joining the team again. It just it makes no sense.
0: Yeah, I mentioned that in my review, how there's like the one really good joke and they totally neuter <laughs> it. Well, it's like it's... you know, there's a there's a part at the end where they have to go underwater and I thought, okay, they're gonna use Killer Croc to go under the water and do this part of the mission, and then he's not even really invited. He like forces his way into that. Right, like well, that, to, that, that like was one gonna of my they're going to send, big... like, scuba diving soldiers down, and Killer Croc's like, no, I'm going to do this. And it's like, well, if you're not going to send the crocodile man under the water where he lives to do this, why bring the crocodile man in the first
1: place? Right. It's just, it, it's amazing the way that the script, it's it's almost like it goes out of its way to not justify some of these characters. Like, why would you, why would you put, you have a, an expendable crocodile man, why would you put your your human soldiers at risk when you... <laughs> I just I... I mean, yeah. I, it's, it's I can't even I can't even finish it without laughing because it's, it's so dumb. stupid. It's dumb, and you know what? It's I, so ill
0: thought out. And I don't want to make it like I don't want to make it seem like this is the only reason I'm writing it off. Because you know what? Lots of comic book movies are dumb. I think The Dark Knight. It, we've mentioned this before, but I think uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight is one of the best comic book movies ever. But we can still get in and pick apart some of the dumb shit that happens in that movie.
1: Well, I mean, that movie is literally built on coincidences. Right. So like it, every everything that the Joker accomplishes, it's like. Like that's pure chance. right?
0: So it's not like, so, I, I don't want it to seem like, well, I don't like Suicide Squad because it's stupid. There's a lot wrong with this movie, but just the lazy screenplay is one part of that, and it is lazy. We have a listener question, Stu. Would you like to take a listener question?
1: Let's take a listener. Actually, before we get to the listener question, I want to I raise my, probably my biggest beef with this entire movie. Please do. So Katana is in this as Rick Flagg's bodyguard. Yes. Uh, which is a great idea. It's fine. Hey, you know, more kick-ass females. Great. We we can always use that. Uh, her main weapon is a sword, a katana, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, that steals the souls of the people that she kills. Mm-hmm. How do you have a movie, an action movie, where she uses her sword, but it never sucks a single soul the entire time? Like how? How do you mess that up? How do you not do that? It is asinine and further proof that
0: this film is really based on a foundation of a bunch of sort of half-realized
1: ideas, if that. Uh, Yeah, well, and, you know, some of the, it feels like this was, even though we there were like, how, how many, like, what, a month-long worth of reshoots? Is that what it was? Yeah. Something like that? I was, don't know. It was they uh, tinkered,
0: you know, all the stories that it, come out now after the fact. It still
1: feels like this. It still feels like this was the first draft of the script. Right, and, and you know they put this movie together in a hurry.
0: Although the next film we're going to talk about got put together in a hurry too, and it the the end result was a lot different, which we'll get to soon. But for now, we're going to do our listener questions too. We have this a listener first question listener question we've ever had. Yeah, I think so. first ever listener question. I, I don't usually put out the call for listener questions, but we seem to be picking up some more listeners. So I'm hoping we can turn this into a regular feature from here on out. But, uh, my Twitter buddy, Matthew Dewaskin wants to know, and I hope I pronounced your last name right, Matt. Uh, he asks, was suicide squad as bad as the reviews made it out to be? And would a director's slash extended cut help? Uh,
1: no, I don't think it's as bad as uh, a lot of the reviews are saying. I think there's a whole lot of hyperbole, as I said earlier. And yeah, I think that uh, an extended cut absolutely would have helped because you know so many of so many of the problems you know are with it. Just seems jumpy all around, and it, it asks for uh, emotional payoffs that are not earned. And so yeah, if you had a chance to flush a lot of that stuff out. Um, then certainly, yeah, it, it it's not a guarantee that it would improve the movie, but it certainly would provide for the opportunity for it. Now, when Matt says
0: as bad as the reviews made it out to be, it kind of depends on, you know, because you see a lot of people bitching about the Rotten Tomatoes score, which is in the mid to high 20s. And I see a lot of people saying, "Oh, this movie doesn't deserve a you know a 27% Rotten Tomatoes score." But I think there's a little bit of a fundal, fundamental misunderstanding of what that means. Uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes only counts reviews as positive or negative, as fresh or rotten. And if a movie's uh you know if a movie's at a 30%, it doesn't mean that critics are on average rating that movie a three out of ten. It means that 30. It means that 70% of critics are saying this is not a good movie. So, I mean, if you look at that Rotten Tomatoes rating and see a 27 or whatever, I, I mean you could make you could make the argument the movie that number seems low for what this movie delivers, but I mean, if you're telling me that you know 75 percent of critics or whatever the number is didn't think it's a good movie, that's deserved? Sure. Or you just think some particular reviews mm. are too
1: harsh: Uh yeah, I mean, I, I think that some reviews are particularly harsh. Uh, you look at Scott Mendelssohn, I think, uh, and, you know, he, he declared it worse than the Fantastic Four reboot, which uh, that makes me wonder if he actually watched, you know, one or the other of those two films. Uh, uh, because, because it's just, I mean, it's, they both have similar problems, but Fantastic Four reboot is so much worse than this
0: I, I mean I haven't seen that still, of which i'm proud um i mean I could say suicide- <laughs> Squad, i mean going back a little further, suicide squad's
1: better than green lantern it is better i mean look it's not it's not an awful movie it's not a good movie uh but it's not a bad movie either it's it's, it's okay it's it has a, a lot no, of, it a, has a lot of problems. no it's it's a bad movie Stu.
0: it might not it, be terrible, terrible, but it's bad it's watchable
1: mm. which makes it better than bad.
0: Mm. as for a director's extended cut i see i have a problem with the st- extended cuts of movies anyway put the best version of your film out in the theater well just, sure just i mean do that, that. that's the
1: ideal I, but not every not everybody is allowed to do that
0: i i you know there's especially that, within the studio you know system. there's the three hour r-rated cut of batman v superman not interested i'm not interested i mean if you if you can't get me to enjoy what you put out in the theater I have no interest in an extended cut, and I don't even really like extended cuts of good
1: movies. Uh, an extended cut can do a lot to a movie. Like, have you seen the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven?
0: I have not. I hear good things.
1: It is basically a different movie.
0: Well, there are instances where it can be okay, and something like that, or something like Alien Three, where the original direct you know where the director's vision is just stifled by the studio. And then there's some sort of historical context for going back. And here's in the Alien 3 example, David Fincher eventually became the David Fincher. So there's some h- historical context present where you'd want to go back and maybe see what his version of that movie would look like. So, 10, 15 years after a movie's released, there's a there's a reason for maybe wanting to see a different take on the movie that was shot at one point. That I can get. But six months after a movie comes out, putting together an Ultimate Edition or an Extended Edition, I, I'm not a fan. Like if Lucasfilm comes out tomorrow and says we're putting out a, an, an Extended Edition of The Force Awakens that's 20 minutes longer than what everybody's seen, I'm going to be annoyed. Well,
1: sure. I mean I'm not saying that I wouldn't be annoyed, but I mean it, it's not a matter of annoyance. I mean it's a, it, that's not the question. The question isn't would you be annoyed if this happens. What, the question oh is God. would it benefit. And uh, I mean, on one and hand, I think I think that it could. I, uh, on one I hand, like on, I, said, I mean, again,
0: I think it's a bad film, so there's not a lot of <laughs> it can't get worse, really, from this. I mean, it can, but theoretically, it like, can absolutely, li- get worse. I mean, it could get worse, but likely that's not going to happen. Uh, so. I mean, I guess theoretically it could be improved by maybe throwing some deleted scenes back in. But again, this isn't a matter of a movie that was made and just a lot of stuff got cut. This was a movie that was made and then reshoots were ordered to completely change the tone from what what has been reported. So that's like, you know, if you just throw a bunch of dark stuff back into it, it's only going to seem
1: more chaotic with these drastic switches in in tone.
0: So you can't really do that, right?
1: It depends on how much they reshot and, you know, what those reshoots were intended to replace and 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 again like i said you know an extended cut isn't a guarantee that it would be better uh but it certainly has the potential for it uh potential sure but again if if you're not impressing me in the
0: theater which already sucks up two hours of my time i'm not interested in giving you two and a half six six months later to try to convince me then i don't like it but we'll see if that happens do you think there'll be a different cut that comes out on blu-ray oh i I would almost
1: guarantee it,
0: which is gonna be weird since we got the batman v Superman cut this cut like are all d c movies gonna have extended cuts or more graphic r rated cuts is this uh, are, are that is the whole is the whole d c e u gonna be a different set of movies on you know at home
1: I think that this is probably the last time that you'll see something like that just because I think that i mean. Part of the problem is that this is this movie suffered the fate of coming out after Batman v Superman, and even though it made a lot of money, nobody really liked it, and so DC Warner Brothers was desperate to try and change course. Uh, you know, so that which is part of the part of why it feels so jumbled. Uh, Because you literally have conflicting ideas of what this movie needed to be butting heads with each other. It Uh,
0: It is possible, going back to Matt's question, you know, is the movie bad as critics say it is? There may be a little residual, you know, bad feelings stemming from Batman v Superman that have carried over to this film. This film may, maybe I will concede, be getting a little more of a beating than it should just because we've now had, you know back-to-back dc extended universe movies that no one's been pleased with and there may be a
1: cumulative effects sort of deal kicking in the bad taste from batman v superman is absolutely still lingering i mean you know that movie it's it feels like it was forever ago but i mean that movie really only came out a few months ago it was like four months ago if that right th- yeah you know it feels like a lifetime ago but it, it really wasn't that long
0: one thing that's interesting, uh, I mean, the movie is a hit. It had a huge opening weekend. Uh, signs are p- kind of maybe pointing to that it's going to have a steep drop now, much like um, Batman v Superman did. But I mean, it's it's still the movie's un- uh, unquestionably a hit. But I- I'm not sure how you're really able to expand the DC universe and capitalize on this film. I mean, when uh, you know, just look at the characters are. Is Deadshot going to show up in the next Batman movie? I doubt it. Uh, you know, is Harley or Harley and the Joker going to show up in Ben Affleck's solo Batman movie? I would almost... Um, that that I would almost... Get see. Yeah, that could possibly happen. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of obvious places to to put these characters in other films.
1: Well, I mean, look, it's one of those things where it's a comic book movie, so you can contrive almost anything to get characters anywhere. You know, I mean, if, if the Joker is able to literally blow his way into uh, Belle Reeve or whatever the name of the prison was, you know, there's some other way that, you know, Deadshot or Captain Boomerang or, you know, whoever else could, could find their way out. Aren't
0: you going to, though, if they announce Affleck's solo Batman movie and the joker and harley are if not the main villains like significant villains in it and maybe dead shot shows up for like a cameo aren't you going to roll your eyes a little bit like we just saw these guys
1: not really i mean i think some of that is just because i've come to accept that sort of thing in comic books mm-hmm. you know nobody ever stays in prison forever nobody stays dead forever yeah, but it's I'm just
0: talking about more from a creative standpoint i i, I mean wouldn't we rather see Batman take on some new version of the Riddler since we got, we haven't gotten that, you know, a big screen version of that. character oh, sure. in A long time.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, mean, I'm Marvel's, not
0: so... I don't want to compare to Marvel too much, but they have it easy just cycling the, their heroes into the Avengers movies. I mean, that just kind of naturally is an easy thing to do. Cycling these sort of villains into a stream of DC movies seems harder.
1: Well, sure. I mean, I, I don't disagree and I'm not saying that I, you know, granted, I, I... I liked the two minutes that we got between Batman and Deadshot, mm-hmm. though I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, so much of Batman's rogues gallery is underutilized or poorly utilized. Uh, I would be I would be perfectly fine if we didn't see the Joker for another two or three Batman movies at least. You what know, is- I we we've seen that character enough times and enough mediums use somebody else use uh, use Maxie Zeus use the Riddler i mean just something uh you know so it was great it was great seeing batman actually tackle uh, someone different so uh, i am all for ben affleck using uh you know calendar man for that matter <laughs> calendar man <laughs> <laughs> mad hatter yeah you know mad hatter clayface I mean, you've got you've got so many different great villains to go you know to go with. Sure, uh, yeah, bring bring Deadshot in for a cameo, uh, fine. Uh, you know, give Will Smith a little bit of a payday, but use somebody else for the main villain. Speaking of the Joker, Jared Leto's version, yay or nay? Awful. If I never saw him play the character again, I would be better for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't love it. I I wasn't like repulsed by it, but I think that's just because he's not in the movie that much.
1: I mean, well, he's not a, he's not in the movie that much. You could take out every single instance of the character in this movie, and the overall product would not miss a beat. You you wouldn't there there would not be any gaps there.
0: I I called him like a white boy wannabe gangsta in my review, which is which kinda... which is, which is at,
1: which is accurate? I mean, he doesn't. He's not intimidating. He's not scary. Uh, he's not funny, which is something that all jokers have been, even if they're scary while they're being funny. Uh, he just he just he doesn't do anything interesting, and you can practically hear Jared Leto or Leto, however you say it, is it Leto or Leto. I have no idea. Anyway, you can practically hear him overthinking it with every single line reading, like just I'm the Joker i'm the joker you know i mean he's just he's he's putting he's just he's overthinking it and it's it it strains the performance he's trying too hard to do to be different Uh,
0: again it doesn't have an he's not in the movie enough for it to have much of an impact or for me to formulate much of an opinion on even with what he is in i mean it's clearly the worst joker performance in film history i mean this can't touch nicholson or ledger can't touch it can't even touch Cesar Romero. Who counts? Because there was a big screen version of that. So it's the worst. Congratulations, Jared Leto. You are the worst big screen Joker. But yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, again, I thought the movie had bigger problems. It's not like, what's the biggest problem in this movie? It's not his sure. Joker. All right, let's move on to more positive topics, Stu. Namely, Star Trek Beyond. Which, in our last podcast, when we while we were debating whether Suicide Squad could save the summer or not... We kind of, like, just kind of skipped over Star Trek Beyond and said, yeah, we'd probably see it. I think I made a mention that they didn't screen it in Pittsburgh. Um, I ended up seeing it, uh, like, I think the second weekend it was out. I didn't even see it opening weekend, and I loved it. It's – box office-wise, it's not saving the summer. It's underperforming much the same way that Ghostbusters did and the Jason Bourne movie is. But from a creative standpoint, Star Trek Beyond is my favorite movie I've seen since Captain America Civil War. I think it's the best Star Trek movie since Wrath of Khan in 1982. I think it's pretty easily the best Star Trek movie in the Abrams-verse or the Kelvin universe or whatever, the B timeline, whatever you want to call it. And I, I mean, I just adored it. I wish it was making more money. I wish more people would see it. It seems like it's just getting lumped in with everything else that's being skipped over this summer. But I mean, it, to me, it felt like this is what I've been waiting for since the beginning of May.
1: If this had come out, if this was the movie that had followed up the 2009 Trek reboot, yep. it would be, it would be doing gangbusters. Yep. I'm, I'm convinced.
0: Well, I mean, that's always the theory that, you know, how much money a a movie makes if it's a sequel is largely dependent on how much people enjoyed the movie that, preceded, that directly preceded it. And since Into Darkness was largely underwhelming, it's now Beyond that takes the brunt of that as far as public interest. But this movie deserves better. Wouldn't you agree?
1: It's, it's a really good movie. It's a really good Star Trek movie, which I, I think is an important distinction to make because you know a lot of star trek movies are not good at being star trek movies right um but this one really it gets the characters it understands the fundamentals of what makes trek trek uh you know it's is so just
0: optimistic and positive right. and about unity and family and teamwork and having a mission that you're committed to and sort of all those ideals
1: well, and it, and it 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 drives those things so hard. Like I, I honestly can't remember the last time there was a movie that was so committed to the concepts of, you know, of optimism and, uh, you know, strength and unity and things like that. And it, it and it shows why those things are are. Superior, why they're why they're the, the you know the superior outlook and approach and things like that.
0: It's such a warm and a movie.
1: It's such a war, it, there's it, so much warmth. Is it, the word it's I something use. that we haven't. I, I'm honestly struggling to think of the last time that we we saw that in a Star Trek movie. It it's been a long time. A voyage Home, maybe. Probably that that's really probably it. Which I would probably put this on par with with Voyage Home. See, I'm someone who thinks Voyage Home is a little overrated. I like it, but
0: it it goes too comedy for me. Well, I mean, it I and it's good. It's I but I I think Voyage Home is overrated, and and Search for Spock is underrated. And in my mind, they're both fairly good movies that are actually about equal. But that's not See, the way they're generally seen
1: by the mass. Voyage Voyage Home at least feels like a a good movie. Search for Spock just feels like a, a really long TV episode. You can say that about a lot of these, though. Oh, absolutely, sure. I, I don't disagree. I think the Undiscovered
0: Country almost feels like that. It just happens to be a really good episode. <laughs> uh, but, um, um,
1: but, but this, I mean, it's just like every... They get all of the
0: characters right. Um, well, here's the thing with that. The characters have been right. I mean, through both of the two that J.J. J. Abrams directed... The, the casting has been a tremendous.
1: Well, the, the casting has been good, but you never really felt that they were used in the way that they needed to be.
0: Mm, see, even in Into Darkness, which I have a ton of problems with, I, I mean, I think Pine and Quinto are fantastic in that movie.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, if there's, if there's, one, if there's one constant throughout these movies, it's the way that it gets Bones, Kirk, and Spock correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in their interactions with with each other. Mm-hmm. But just like specifically in the way that the movie uses them, like within the plot, you know, and just kind of the larger overall thing, I mean, this definitely nails it. Uh, in really letting them dig into their roles on the enterprise as part of a team, that kind of a thing.
0: It's like the first two movies got the characters, right. Casting was perfect. Characters were fantastic. Uh, Covered up a lot of faults in those movies. But, I mean, the, the first one, Star Trek 09, was kind of... There was some dumb plotting going down. There was a lot of, you know, they had to get these... They had to get these characters into their places. Kirk is the captain, and Spock is, you know, first officer or whatever. They had to get... It was kind of sloppy how it got those characters into their set positions by the end of the movie. Into Darkness had the same sort of dumb plotting, but then on top of that had all the sort of dark 9-11 subtext and all that nonsense which sort of weight is sort of weighted down this film star trek beyond you have the characters they work it's just as good as those last two times it's great but this time they're not saddled with sort of the terrible plotting i mean i don't think beyond is has a brilliant script but it's sort of it's fun everything makes sense uh, the action se- – you know, we move from we move from one action sequence to a character beat to an action sequence to a character beat. Everything flows as you'd expect it would. And so when you come out of the movie, you're left with just this appreciation for how great these characters were able to interact off each other without being – your mind kind of being drugged down into, well, this didn't make any sense and this was stupid. And 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 now we're at the point where uh, – tell me if you agree with this, Stu. I, I'm at the point – I like this movie so much that it ended up feeling a little bit to me, it's a similar feeling to how I felt at the end of X-Men Days of Future Past, where if they wanted to wrap up this particular version of this universe with this movie and make it the last one in the Abrams verse, I think I'd be fine with that.
1: Like, they're they, not, I don't they think they, I'm not sure they, they can
0: make a better one now.
1: I, I think they can, because now now they found their footing. You know they they've nailed they've nailed the tone. That would be just, the counter argument. Just do it. Do another one like this, and then you can move on. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. You know, just because I. I've, well, movies are hard. Well, m- movies are hard, but specifically just another Star Trek movie. Quite honestly.
0: Well, uh, there's a couple but, things at play here. One is, well, is this movie's not doing super great at the box office it's so, not
1: doing super great you don't have any real major star power driving right. things
0: uh you know so you the, can't
1: say oh come see another george clooney star trek movie or whatever uh,
0: we, uh-huh. we we have another star trek tv show on the way which you know there may be some Slightly different accounting books involved here, but it's possible they want to focus a little more on that in the wake of the well, movie not doing very well.
1: Well, and especially when you have guys like Simon Pegg coming out, who some you know, who co-wrote uh, Beyond, uh, coming out and very directly saying, you know, Star Trek has always belonged on TV, right? You know, so I mean, there's you definitely get the sense that people are like ah, it's movies, but you know, this this is really more better suited to you know, to an episodic format, which is hard to argue with, quite honestly.
0: No, I agree. And there's also, you know, they've already... Uh, Paramount actually put out a press release basically saying we are going to make a fourth movie. Chris Hemsworth's going to be in it reprising his role as Kirk's dead father, so there's probably going to be time travel shenanigans. And I don't love that as a place I to think go with this franchise. I think it's a terrible idea. Right. So between that... And how good this, you know what? I think I'd rather just leave it. You know, they, we have this, sure. wonder, we have this wonderful movie. There's that, you know, that moment of closure at the end where young Spock brings out old Spock's picture of the original crew. My eyes welled up, very emotional. Uh, Kirk and Spock realized that, you know, they're, they're, they need to be, they're stronger together than apart. They're stronger as a family than s- scattered around the galaxy. They're going to, they're going to stick out this five-year mission. And it's just it's sort of like a perfect ending to these three movies. And if they're going to take do some tra- time travel nonsense and get hung up on Kirk's father hangups, it's, I'm just I'm not that interested. Not to mention, it's sad to talk about, but we lost Anton Yelchin. So we're going to lose Chekhov. J.J. Abrams has said they're not going to recast. Uh, do you think that's the right call, not recasting Chekhov? Yeah, I think overall. I think probably, too. It's respectful. Yelchin was good in the part. So I mean you, you you can write him out real easily. Well he got assigned a better job, a first officer's job or whatever on another starship. But you know, he's he's one of the seven, so it's it's gonna be a little sad with him not there. And he's honestly probably the least important of the seven, but still if it's gonna feel like something's missing without you. Yeah, no,
1: I, I would agree with that.
0: So I, I don't know. I I this is a wonderful Star Trek movie. Wrath of Khan is the only Star Trek movie I own on Blu-ray, and I will gladly add this one to it at some point. I mean, the sabotage scene where they blow up the drones—that might, that have might now that might now be my scene of the summer. I think I like it better than uh, Holtzman's hero shot in Ghostbusters. So this is now that, my scene of the summer.
1: That moment shouldn't have worked. It should have been garish and just like really really come on uh but justin lynn makes it work here's
0: what's crazy we were talking about maybe suicide squad suffering because you know they put it together so quickly and sort of too many cooks in the kitchen and meddling from the studio and whatever i was listening to uh the empire podcast their spoiler special on star trek and they were interviewing lynn and simon peg and just director justin lynn screenwriter Simon Pegg, who also plays Scotty, and his co-screenwriter Doug Jung. Those three people had never met prior to making this movie. Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams' company, and you know to some extent J.J. himself, hired them all the same week, flew them to London, put them in a room, and said, Justin, meet Simon, meet Doug, meet Justin. You guys have six weeks to put together our new Star Trek movie. And they had to bang out a script, come up with a story and bang out the script in six weeks when they were ready to start shooting. Now, how does that movie end up working so well?
1: Well, I think some of it is because you had people collaborating. Mm -hmm. uh, And collaboration always leads to better results. Whereas David Ayer is the sole credited screenwriter Mm -hmm. on this. On Suicide Um, Suicide Squad. Yeah, on, on Suicide Squad. Right. You know, and, and I really, I honestly think, I mean, some of it just comes down to uh, Justin Lin as a better filmmaker. But I, I also think these are people who really respect the material. Well, that that franchise. was going to be that was going to be my next point is that this it's clear that I mean, you know, you listen to Justin Lin talk about growing up watching Star Trek and the way that it affected him. Uh, this is something that he not only loves, he fully understands mm-hmm. Uh, on a conceptual and thematic level i mean just he gets it you know and simon Pegg, i mean he's he's the same way he's you know he's he's the geek who made it but he's not the geek that gets blinded by his devotion to these properties he understands what makes a good story i mean
0: again it's hiring the right people because you get the sense that these are these are guys that you know if you just stopped them on the street having never thought about this before and said what would you do if you could make a star trek movie within 10 minutes, they're going to have some pretty good ideas that are in the spirit of star Trek. Just because, yeah, just because they're, they're, you know, they're fans and, you know, and peg's been around for a couple of movies as an actor and has been able to see what's worked and what hasn't worked. And, you know, probably came in with a, a, a sort of a clear direction to move either, you know, steer into the stuff that was working from the first two movies and steer away from the stuff that wasn't, but um, man, what a great movie. I mean, just just a great, great movie. I was blown away. So if you haven't, I mean, in the box office shows, maybe you haven't, go see Star Trek Beyond. I mean, trust me, it's worth seeing on a big screen. It's a good-looking, big-screen science fiction movie. It's a ton of fun. It's really funny. The performances are great. I really can't speak highly enough about it. So just such a surprise coming towards the end of the summer. Um, Stu, we're going to end this episode with a new segment. One that we hope will become a regular feature here on the Cult Spark podcast. Stu and I are going to start taking a few minutes at the end of each episode to recommend a film, a TV series, a comic book, a video game, a stage play. I don't know. It could be anything, really. But something that we're either, you know, have watched recently or are playing or are reading. Doesn't have to be something new, just something that's new to us. Uh, something that we would recommend. So, Stu, would you like to kick off this inaugural installment of Cult Spark Recommends?
1: Yes. Uh, I about three years ago, I kickstarted Hyperlight Drifter, made by the fine folks at Heart Machine. Uh, this is amazingly the first video game that that team has ever uh, made together. Certainly, uh, you know, some of the first game that most of those team members have probably ever made. Just period, not just on that team. Fantastic game, At, I mean, and you know, not just saying that because I s- spent money that went toward the production of it. It's really good. It's uh, it's done in a kind of top-down, uh, you know, chunky pixel, sixteen-bit uh, graphical style, uh, and it's just, it's, it's kind of like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's, it's like Zelda, but with uh, laser swords and guns. I don't know. It's just it's a phenomenal uh, action adventure game. Uh, that is, uh, it's difficult. It's challenging. Uh, all the hidden secrets are very hard to find, uh, but it's very rewarding as the combat is fantastic. The world building is phenomenal. Uh, there's not a single word written or spoken, at least not in an intelligible language, uh, the entire game. But you still get a perfect sense of, uh, uh, you know, or at least a really strong sense of. The story that's going on, you know, of the world as it used to be versus how it is now. It's just it's just a great game, fantastic game. Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, this is not a game uh, if you like your games easy, but it's just it's extremely well made, well worth the twenty bucks that you'll drop to uh, to play it.
0: And it's available pretty much for every system
1: and PC. Yeah, uh, PC, PS4, Xbox One. Uh, it's all there.
0: Nice. So unless you're only a poor, sad Wii U owner. Or is it on Wii U as well? I'm going to guess no.
1: Uh, it is currently being worked on for the Wii U. That's
0: right. Nobody owns just a Wii U anyway. So go play it on your non-Nintendo
1: system of choice. I think it might be coming out for Vita PS Vita as well. I'm not sure. My pick, Either way, chances on. are, if you play video games in any way seriously, uh, you have a way to play this.
0: I'm going to go with something I'm currently reading. Uh, you know, I'm starting to prep for Doctor Strange, Stu. I'm excited for Doctor Strange. I start, there's a current Doctor Strange Marvel run that's happening right now that I started reading that I thought was okay but wasn't really doing it for me. So I went back and I bought uh, a limited series that came out in like 2000, 2007. It's called Doctor Strange The Oath. It was written by the great Brian K. Vaughn, who we know from writing Why the Last Man and Saga. Uh, it's a quick read. It's five issues. I actually just started it. I'm only three issues in. I have two issues more to go. But I feel comfortable recommending it now anyway because even just three issues in, it it has that Brian K. Vaughn sheen on it, and I'm actually enjoying it a lot better than I am the current run. But if you're interested and checking out some doctor strange comics before the movie comes out in november i highly recommend doctor strange the oath by brian k vaughn i got it on comiXology i'm sure you can read it if you're a subscriber to marvel's digital comic program i'm sure you can order the trade from amazon but uh it's a lot of fun all right Stuart, i think that's an episode if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Robert B. Taylor. Stu is at Doo. Uh If you want to ask questions, like I said, we're going to start trying to do some listener questions. So if you have questions about something, if you want to yell at us about something we said in this episode, tweet us, and we'll address it in the next episode. Or if you have questions about sort of pop culture things that have gone on in the next few weeks, you know, in between episodes, feel free to ask. We'll, we'll answer. We'll, you know, we'll fill out time. We'll sit here and bullshit about whatever. Uh, in the meantime, you can also find Cult Spark on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you can find our podcast on iTunes. Please follow us, like us, rate us, review us, all those fun things. It makes us feel good. It makes Stu feel
1: really good. It always makes me feel good.
0: <laughs> uh, but, Stu, seriously, thanks for uh, joining me tonight. And we'll be back in a few weeks with our next episode. Bye, everybody. <laughs>